This is episode 95 of the Tech Ticker from Grantwood AA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I'm joined by two of my favorite people today. First up, Mindy Carney. Hello. Hello. And we also have Lynn Kleinmeier. Hi, friends. We are back after our summer hiatus. Yes, here we are. And it is pouring down with yes, rain outside. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's busy here today. I was like, oh, I'll just pull right up by the door. And I'm like, oh, no, no everybody is here. <laughs> had to get my had to get my umbrella out of the back. I was like, what's the point? But we're going to bring the sunshine on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, and you got your okay. run in for today. So, yeah, I right. mean, like, it's we're winning. Yeah, it's Friday. Well, let's uh, jump right in then with um, <laughs> news and follow-up. We'll yep. get back to that, Lynn Kleinmeier, later. Mm-hmm. Um, but feel free to join in here, Lynn. Flipgrid Live Events is the first thing I put down here, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you can now take your learners on an adventure with Flipgrid Live Events without ever leaving the comfort of your classroom, home, or wherever you learn because they have virtual field trips with authors, scientists, humanitarians, and creators that are sharing their passions from all over the world. So this reminds me a little bit of what Microsoft did with the Skype virtual field trips. And so, obviously, Microsoft are in with uh, owning Flipgrid now. So, with making those connections, I think that's a great um, little addition to have on there. Hmm. I did not see this come through ever. This one I saw on Twitter over the summer, and I just oh. filed it away. I sure thought, you did, yeah. <laughs> I know who would appreciate <laughs> yes. this. Uh-huh. The yep. Tech yeah, listeners. For sure. Yeah, They've got a little schedule on there. So, like, um, they just had one September 1. It was a back-to-school night with Zookeeper Will. Uh, they've got Mindfulness one on September 8th. September 15th is International Dot Day with Peter Reynolds. Lynn will appreciate that I one. So I was scrolling through and I saw it and I'm like, okay, I might register here. Just sit by myself and, you know, go on this virtual uh, experience. But it's kind of cool. There's some that you can watch on demand. So it looks like if you miss the live event, you can go back. So that's kind of cool. Next up, I have a link here that has got, you know, I don't think this is the greatest title I've ever put down on the dog, but it's called... <laughs> but it's alliteration. It's called Spreading Screencastify, and I, I don't really know what that looks like, but this was a, a link I also saw tweeted out if you are a coach or you are some kind of a technology trainer and you want to show other people you know, the power and things that Screencastify can do. This is a good one-stop place where you can go and get resources and ideas for that. So they have things like uh, slide decks on how to create video. Um, They've got webinars. They've got um, certifications you can do here, different courses you can take to be a certified Screencastify person. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Oh, here it is. Request swag. Get some Screencastify swag to accompany your amazing Screencastify presentation. Just let us know where to send it. So we should request swag. So have you already requested? So what is the swag? I'm going to click on it here. I'm sure it's... Oh, it's a form. It doesn't tell you what the swag is. You need Mm. to know before you sign up for all the swag. It's probably stickers would be my guess. Could be. We used to have a bunch of stickers. I think it threw them all away. Laptop stickers, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, if you are interested in spreading this Screencastify word, <laughs> then, uh, that is how you do that. 
Next link I saw on there, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but um, I was just talking to our support staff recently about Chrome's tab groups. Yeah. And the first thing they asked me is, what happens if I close Chrome? Mm. What happens to my tab groups? Mm-hmm. And I said, they will go away. Yeah. <laughs> However, it looks like in the beta versions of Chrome, there is a new feature coming that has a toggle there that says save group and if you toggle that over it will sync with your other chrome instances and also um you know save your tab group so that you can close chrome and then reopen it and get your tab groups back so not here yet but it's in the early beta versions of chrome's next versions nice either of you use tab groups Um, i have used tab groups um I don't find them as, like, I know some people really like their tab groups, but I don't find them to be as super efficient as I need them to be. So I also use my tabs as, like, to-do, as a to-do list of sorts. So I really enjoy, like, the closing of all the tabs. I don't know. I also keep things into separate windows. Mm -hmm. I do, too. I mean, confession time, I don't use it. For that same reason, yeah. um, just because there's something super satisfying about closing a oh, whole man, I window. I mean, I yeah. love it. Um, but I kind of feel like a lot of my workflow, I have to keep all of these projects, like it has to be visible to me at all times. Right. Um, so it's that whole out of sight, out of mind yeah. mentality. And I know it's kind of silly because the tabs are right there mm-hmm. at the top and you can see them. But yeah, I like to have all the things open mm-hmm. at all the times. What about you, Wiley? You seem like you'd be a tab grouper. I'm not a tab grouper. You're not? Because I, I don't work with like more than like seven or eight tabs at a time oh, well, yeah. before I close stuff down. But I have a tab uh, window tip for you oh. that I was just also talking to our sports staff about okay. yesterday. Because you guys are multiple window people and yeah. I'm not really. I mean, I have like a work window and like a personal window if I want to go and check something at lunch or something. you do. Yeah. If you right-click somewhere to the right of your tabs, you will see the option to name a window. And so if you have multiple windows, you can name one. So if you have a project you're working on, like some stuff for the podcast, you could name one window podcast. And you can name Mm -hmm. another window blended learning. And you could name another window PD for Lisbon or whatever you're working on. And then when you are switching between your windows, if you either on the taskbar at the top on Mm -hmm. mac where you can select window and go down Mm -hmm. it will tell you the name of the window that you are working in well it tells you the name of one of the tabs in your window right now which is a clue yeah but but you have to kind of sometimes i look at it and i'm like oh geez it says mail (laughs) (laughs) mail is not what that's not going to help me at all so that makes sense huh a little bonus tech nugget i just throw that one in there for you wow thank you for that thanks for helping us Mm -hmm. Well, here's the big summer news that maybe we should have a little bit of a conversation about. And this was a blog post that actually came out in June that I think we all ignored or didn't see or were on vacation or something. But uh, Safer Learning with Google for Education. Google says we're launching a new age-based access system to make it easier for admins to tailor experiences for their users based on age when using Google services like YouTube, Photos and Maps. All admins and primary and secondary institutions must indicate which of their users, such as teachers and staff, are 18 and older and which ones are not because they are changing what those users can do with those products. So, for instance, in YouTube, 
if you are under 18, you are no longer able to post videos, upload videos, comment, or live stream using a Google account. Your school has issued. Right. That So that made me think, like, I manage my kids' Gmail accounts through me. So I'm a yes. parent. I didn't even look ever in their email accounts to see, like, if it said anything to them because they post videos all the time. Well, that's just it because yeah. as far as I know, if you have a Gmail account, You're you can good. be 13 or over right. and then you can do whatever right. you want. Okay. But Google has decided in their wisdom that if you are under 18, you cannot do that inside of YouTube and you get limited on maps and photos as well. And those are three apps that are kind of outside of that Google Workspace for yeah, Education sure. thing, but yep. they're still apps that mm-hmm. People educators use. use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I don't know what the rationale really there is. Um, making it easier for admins to tailor experiences for their users? Mm, maybe. <laughs> whatever you say, Google, whatever yeah. you say. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what... What happens moving forward? I know. There's so, some ramifications that be, were unforeseen. Or, I'd be curious yeah. if we have any school districts that are like, we totally missed this boat, and yeah. now we didn't well, mark teachers. And stu- we, I mean, and I think it's kind time of now. timing-wise, it's like right at the beginning of the school know, year, Google. Right? Um, yeah. You couldn't wait until October. Yeah. Also says in Chrome, safe search and safe sites will be on by default. Which is great. And guest mode and incognito mode will be off by default. Oh, wow, because we're tracking you. Admins do still have the ability to change those policies on an individual basis. Mm So, yeah, it's good to have that safe search on. Yeah, Yeah, I think so, too. All right, Lynn added something uh, on here, too. So we'll just let Lynn talk about this, I feel like they're lackluster after all of that. It's like, hmm. It's hmm. another Google update, so it makes sense to talk about it Well, the next two are Google updates. But the first one is that there is going to be um, a rollout, an update coming, where you can better understand how you're spending your time. Uh, via your Google Calendar, and so it's a time. Don't judge insight. me, Google. Don't judge me. No, with but your... here's the thing: like, I get super nerdy about stuff like this, just yeah. because I, you know, the last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about our workflows and yeah. productivity, and so I do get kind of interested and excited. Um, yes, I know, super nerdy, but <laughs> just looking at like, okay, so how am I spending my time, and how could I be more efficient? Mm-hmm. And supposedly, you're supposed to have like a time breakdown based mm-hmm. on your working hours and the mm-hmm. types of meetings, mm-hmm. your time in meetings, and the people you meet with most. Yeah. So, I don't know. Could be interesting. Here's However. the caveat, <laughs> the womp, womp, sad trombone, um, is that it is rolling out, but it's only available to um, the Google Workspace Business Standard, Business oh. Plus, Enterprise Standard, Enterprise Plus, Education Plus, and nonprofit customers. So, so basically, no one. No one. <laughs> um, but I'm saying this out loud and putting it out in the Google sphere that, okay, that would be kind of cool to look at. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, And honestly, let's be super transparent. I'm not sure the audience that would use it most. I think it would be really cool for us as consultants, or I think Mm -hmm. about like instructional coaches and Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, Your everyday classroom teacher, Mm -hmm. probably not. They probably know where their time is spent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I thought it was worth a mention. Um, And so somebody who has access to that, please contact us Mm -hmm. and let us know how that works. But the other one, I had to share because um, it's going to revolutionize education, education, wow. communication, the bus. connections, 
What is we it? We are now <laughs> going to have the ability within Google uh, Chats to find and share GIFs <sighs> right in that Google Chat. Um, which, let's be honest, okay, I am kind of thankful for that because I uh, my second language is GIF mm-hmm. use. And so just to be able to have it right there, I think that's kind of fun. So had to mention that one. Too. Is that a bot then or not? You ask good questions. I don't think so. No, okay. No. It says admins can enable or disable this GIF integration in the admin console Got by it. turning it on or off. Yeah, and good news. It's going to be available to, to those of us oh, who are not. To all the mere mortals yeah, around the world. The mm-hmm. um, and so that's kind of rolling out over the course of the next couple weeks. Nice. I'm wondering if it's going to be off by default because it says when enabled by your admin you can find and insert gifts right so we should turn that on for grantwood people we hundred percent that is the first thing i'm doing after the podcast yes. All right. see this is why i dropped that in because now we needed we needed that in our day so thank you jonathan and finally i put this one in just for mindy because i know how much she loves oh, man these- i hate this stuff I'm looking at it. Go ahead. <laughs> I know how much she loves these dot new shortcuts that I keep surfacing for her. This is the Google registry for all the dot new shortcuts that are in existence for every. What is app this stuff? I don't ever. know. Like, I'll be honest. I looked through some of it. I'm like, I don't even know what these things are. Wow, I'm missing out on the Google world because. So if you click over in the sidebar where it says education, you'll see some more familiar things. Okay. So you can do things like (laughs) citation.new to add a bibliography citation with BibGuru. You can do code.new. You can do course.new. Kahoot.new and quiz.new will give you a new Kahoot quiz. Uh, Quizlet.new. So there's a whole, every possible dot new extension that is in the google registry is here in one place if you want to have a look at these you can click productivity and see all the google ones and canva ones and fundraiser.new uh, design custom products to sell online with bonfire i don't even understand pizza.new i'm in yeah. yes you're domino's, in order your domino's pizza online there you go thank you for that okay fine so there you go. Um, all the dot new um, ones that you could possibly want. I think that came via Tony Vincent on Twitter. Oh. So I give a shout. Drink out recipes. Him. Drink dot new. Drink dot yeah. new. Drink dot new. There's some. There's some interesting ones What's in the, here. I don't Friends, you should definitely why. scroll through this because. Oh, yeah, there are some there are some interesting ones. It's Friday Fun Day. Yeah. I mean, okay, okay. There you go. Let's right. call it that. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on. I know we have two amazing guests oh, to talk to next. There we go. Okay. So up next, Serve to You Piping Hot, our main course today is talking about universal design for learning with our guests, Lynn Kleinmeyer and Jonathan Wiley. Hi, Mindy. Oh, we're so excited that you have us here. Step into my office. Can I just say before we start that I am a really big fan of this podcast. Oh, my gosh. This is too much. I feel like I have listened to every single episode (laughs) at least least once. (laughs) At least five times. Which is more than me, so that's good. Every episode. So to be here today is a a great honor. It's a huge honor. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm so glad you're both here. Thanks, Mindy. (laughs) So um, we're talking a little bit about Universal Design for Learning, or UDL. Can you start us off by maybe giving us kind of an idea, an overview of what exactly UDL is? 
Well, I think uh, universal design for learning had its origins with universal design, which is more of an architectural or design kind of concept that was really popular or started to get legs in the 50s where, you know, we have things like uh, curb cuts for people in wheelchairs to get down and cross roads or we have like um, ramps uh, in front of buildings for people with wheelchairs to access those things. But over time, we discovered completely by accident, probably, that these um, accommodations that we were making for a specific group of people actually had wider implications and were useful for everybody. So parents with strollers can use these sorts of things. Um, Elderly people who might not want to climb up a whole bunch of stairs could take advantage of a ramp or, you know, the UPS guy or the Pepsi delivery guy can get things in and out of buildings quicker and easier without dropping all their goods. So um, there's all sorts of different ways that, you know, this has become embedded in our society and you can see that stuff everywhere so that's when uh, cast thought about it from a learning point of view and used a different lens to think about what universal design for learning would be Right. So these brilliant people at CAST originally um, thought about, okay, how could this idea of universal design um, with architecture be applied to learning environments? Specifically thinking about, okay, how can we remove barriers for students um, maybe who have identified needs in order to give them access to the, the learning content? So they started to craft what are called the UDL guidelines, Um, And so if you look at the UDL guidelines, which I'm sure Jonathan will link in the notes, so if you're kind of following along visually, the guidelines themselves are broken into three columns. So you have the first column, which is engagement. It's really the why of learning. This is really important of how do you invite your students into the learning process and how do you help them see the relevance and feel honored from the get-go? And they intentionally put that column first because it's kind of important. If you don't have your students um, feeling that ownership from the beginning and feeling seen and honored, then you kind of lose all the rest. But then as you kind of progress through, there's the representation column, which is the what of learning. It's how are you sharing the content and giving scaffolds and supports to students so that they really can interact with your your content or your information in a meaningful way. And then the final column is action and expression. It's the how of learning. Um, How are you scaffolding and supporting your students to be able to show what they learn or what they understand. And ultimately, the whole goal of all of this is to create expert learners. And if you look across the bottom of the guidelines, you've got this idea of them being purposeful and motivated and resourceful and knowledgeable and strategic and goal-directed. And so those are the, th- the things that all of education is, is really about. And so the UDL guidelines are taking that mentality of um, – universal design of what are those things that we can do that might help, you know, specific students, but really are going to have uh, ramifications and implications and benefits for lots of students. So it's about being intentional from the get-go and mindful of who your students are, as opposed to being um, retroactive and trying to retrofit things. Yeah, and we talked to um, one of our school consultants recently, uh, yesterday, who was asking that same question, you know, what is UDL? And as she was looking through it, she was like, wait, this is... 
this is just like good teaching, isn't it? And we're like, yeah, this is just the type of things you do if you are using best practices in the classroom. It's about giving students more choice. It's about, you know, making your content more relevant for students. It's about giving them multiple ways to show what they know. These are all things that we talk about, but they're just nicely packaged up in these guidelines here. Right. And like I said before, you know, the UDL guidelines, they're not, it's not something you do. It's, it's a mindset. It's, um, about being intentional and being thoughtful about you know that learning environment and the learning experiences that you're creating with your students in mind. So if you haven't looked at the UDL guidelines before, I really urge you to look at the show notes because I think the great one of the great aspects of the UDL guidelines is just that there are, I wouldn't say specific examples, but it gives you a really, it helps really clarify, I think, between those, the what and the how and the the why, the what and the how, because sometimes it gets a little cloudy if you just right. hear someone talking about it. But if you look through it and really start thinking about it, you're probably going to be able to pull examples of things that you've done for specific kids that might make you think, oh, you know what? I, that kind of makes sense. Like, why wouldn't I try that with all for all of my students? Exactly, exactly. Um, so if you haven't looked at it, I urge you to take a look at our show notes and really just take some time to look over that because I think it's a really beneficial tool. So it sounds like you guys have done a lot of talking. How, why, wh- how did you guys get so interested in this or how did this all come to, come to, I don't know, to come to the table together? That's a, <laughs> kind of an interesting question. You know, I mean, when I think about... Uh, the foundations, the beliefs um, behind the UDL guidelines. I think as a a teacher, um, this was always something that I felt very strongly about. Um, I think about, (laughs) I I started off my career as a seventh grade reading teacher um, and the students I was working with in my school district, it constantly um, amazed me. They, They came to school with lived experiences that were so vastly different from my own and I just was constantly um aware that my thinking or my way of of learning um maybe sometimes unintentionally was causing you know barriers and so I really wanted to kind of think differently about the learning experiences that I was crafting and as a reading teacher you know I was broke my heart because so many of my students would come to me and and not identify as readers and when I really started digging into why it was because they somewhere along the way because they um, maybe struggled with something or because uh, they didn't have the voice and choice over what they were reading, they didn't define themselves as readers. And so I really wanted to work proactively um, to invite them into the learning process and change things and really, really think differently about what I was asking them to do um, and why I was asking them to do it the way that I was. And so it just really kind of started this, this passion for me of, we, for example, need to redefine literacy. This is my little bit of a soapbox, but you know, this idea of, you know, students who maybe were struggling with reading, I taught the outsiders. And just because they couldn't decode it for themselves didn't mean they shouldn't have that that learning experience. And so as a reading teacher, I removed it. I would read out loud to my kids or I would get them the audiobooks because I wanted them to have that experience. And I think that started to kind of shape who I was as a teacher. But it wasn't until I think I came to the agency and like first started hearing about and learning about UDL, um, it wasn't until that moment that I really had any sort of um, 
anything to ground the conversation and ground my thinking and help me really reflect on my practices. And so I think it was probably when I came to the agency that I first kind of started learning about UDL and I just kind of took off from there because I think it it so deeply connected to my my values and, and my belief systems as far as education and needing to kind of shift practices or just be super reflective about the practices. Yeah, and I think from from my side of the table here, um, I guess people that know me will will know that there's probably two distinct sides to my brain or the way my brain works. And one is an education side, but the other is like a technology side. And I'm a big kind of technology geeky person. <laughs> yeah. So no, yeah, we, that's really right. we that's didn't right. we didn't know that. So huh? I'm always fascinated by like you know all the new features, all the new hardware, all the new stuff that all the technology companies come out with, and some of the biggest things that they do or some of the best things that they do, some of the most innovative things they do, I think have always been accessibility type things and, you know, how you they can make their devices more accessible to other people. And I've always looked at that stuff and thought, that's amazing. But I don't, in my education job, I don't see all that many people using that in a gen ed classroom. And I think, well, why not? Why aren't people using that? And why? what can we do to get more people taking advantage of, like, voice typing in Google Docs because nobody's really using it? Because people think, well, that's for people of a specific group that need that. But that group might not be as specific as you think it might be. And that led me down to thinking about, you know, how can we get more of that into uh, general practice and what does that look like and why is it not in general practice and as I followed that path I ended up having more conversations with uh, one of our ex-colleagues Julie Freed and we used to share some of these fun technology things back and forward with each other and she'd say hey you can use this in a gen ed classroom and I'm like yeah we absolutely could and I would say hey have you seen this and she's like no this is great and so that led me towards UDL as well as it was the technology that led me to UDL because because that is a pretty big part of it in terms of providing access for for students. Um, so this is something that Lynn and I have been talking about for a, a long time. And we were having these conversations and ready to go live with a whole bunch of different projects. And then COVID hit. And then we just thought, okay, let's keep the conversations going, but save this for another time. And, and here we are today. Which is interesting because we are digital learning consultants. And I do, we talk about this a lot as a team, is that our job has certainly morphed into kind of different things. And I know, you know, Jonathan, you mentioned about bringing technology into play. So um, I guess a question I have then is if I am, you know, a gen ed classroom teacher, are there things that you're like, oh, this, do you have three things that, you know, a tool or something that they could try that you know is good and has been shared for one or two kids in a class, but might be really great for all of the kids in the class. So Jonathan mentioned voice typing. Are there any other things that you're like, this could be something you could try tomorrow? I mean, there's so many pieces uh, to this because you think about just even the way we utilize technology for ourselves right now. You know, um, for example, there are so many of our AEA online resources that have built-in um, accessibility features. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, being able to have text read aloud to them. That, you know, I'll be really honest. I, I mean, obviously, I was a reading teacher turned librarian, so obviously I literacy is a big part of my life. There are times where I'm tired and that the physical act of reading with my own eyeballs 
I just mm-hmm. I need a break. And so to be able to listen, I, I listen to audiobooks all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those things that just because um, I don't have a vision impairment doesn't mean I can't benefit from listening to mm-hmm. the book. So I mean, even little things like that, just starting to think differently. Or once again, because of my literacy background, the idea of sometimes um, I value the written word. I'm not going to lie about that. But when you have a student, and I think about you know even my own child um, who has some struggles with fine motor skills, that if I'm asking um, a, a student to write what they're thinking, that might make me miss part of what they're understanding or, or maybe unintentionally puts up a barrier. So even things like, could I have my students do an audio response or a video response? Um, because a lot of times we've got Chromebooks, we've got iPads, you know, it's super easy. They've got phones, you know, like, could mm-hmm. they just real quick record themselves um, for my exit ticket mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe, you know, mm-hmm. actually writing that physical ticket? Yeah, and I pick up on that because, you know, we've got all these one-to-one classrooms now. Everybody's got a device, but all of these devices have things built into them that we're not using. You know, where I mean, it's like you would expect to get a discount if you're not using all, all the features <laughs> or something. You know, take a look at all the built-in accessibility features on your Chromebooks, on your Macs, on your PCs, on your iPads, whatever it is you've got, because they've all got things like text-to-speech and speech-to-text and and Zoom and and other things built in there that we're not using or that we're paying for in other services and things like that. So there are ways to use that. And then, you know, there's other tools. I mean, we talk about the Immersive Reader on this podcast Mm -hmm. quite a Mm -hmm. lot, which is a really great tool that's just in so many places now and it's getting into more and more places just to get your students familiar with you know what that little icon looks like so that if you are on a site that uses that or you're in canvas or you're on wonderopolis or flipgrid or wakelet or whatever else you find the immersive reader just to you know have that as an option and give them permission to to use that stuff because it's there for anybody well i think you bring up a good point about giving them permission it's not cheating to use these types of tools and i think that is probably one of the 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 mind shifts that need to happen is that a lot of times I think, like even my son, he voice searches everything. He never types anything into Google. And I'm like, what yep. is he, you know, <laughs> but I, and I don't know for certain, but if he were to go into a classroom and started using that option, is that, you know, what is that? Ex- be like, that's acceptable. Yeah. I didn't air quotes, Are you like cheating? You see me. Um, so I think it's really about giving permission to, for kids to use those tools and to find the tools that work best for them. Um, so keep that in mind. It's not cheating. Yeah, it's absolutely. just, you know, kind of giving kids a, a step up if they need it. And like you said, sometimes it's just, I just need a break right now. Can I just listen to this instead of sitting down and reading something? Yeah. So it's, it's mindful of your goal. If your right. purpose is to have them understand some sort of content, well, then mm-hmm. give they them different to pathways. Too, right? yeah. And that's, that's sure. really what the UDL guidelines are about is like that that idea of that multiple modalities, that multiple pathways um, to experience things. And so it's about that intentionality and and being purposeful, um, which I think those of you who know me, those are kind of like two of my big words. Like when you have that, you know, (laughs) did you, did anyone hear Mindy's eyes roll? Um, But, you know, I mean, like truly though, it's, it's being um, really cognizant of what, what is your goal and who are your kiddos? Mm-hmm. And the other pieces that, you know, that's going to change day to day. And that's okay too. 
So our teachers are what I would say probably feeling still pretty stressed this year. Um, how does this not feel like one more thing? How does it fit into what their instruction already looks like? I mean, how how do we help teachers take something like this on? I think it's one of these things that maybe goes back to what I was mentioning earlier in terms of, you know, it. a lot of this is just what good teaching looks like. And so it's not about, you know, throwing everything out and starting brand new with, with new stuff. You'll be able to look through the UDL guidelines and recognize a lot of the things that you are already doing. But it maybe links back to what Lynn was saying about, you know, just having that mindset of what UDL is when you're doing some instructional planning. So do I have parts where I am looking to actively engage my kids? I'm providing choice or I'm optimizing for relevance or, you know, I'm being clear with my goals and objectives. It's just look at that. Make sure I've got that in my in my lesson design. And then, you know, moving on to that representation style, am I presenting content to kids that's accessible for everybody and giving them all ways to access it and you know thinking about the action and expression it's moving on you know do I give them multiple ways to to show what they know am I giving them tools and access to be able to demonstrate their learning and and use it that way so I think if you look at it from that point of view it's nothing new really it's things that you probably already do it's just about being intentional and thinking about how you are making that part of your lesson plans right it's about being reflective and um, those of you who know me I, I like to ask a lot of questions but I mean I think that's what the UDL guidelines do is just to help you ask some questions about um, for whom is this working and under what conditions and then thinking about okay if there's components that aren't um, why and what could we do to kind of shift just a little bit to invite even more kids um, into the process and help them meet success so if this is of interest to our listeners, how would they go about learning more about UDL? Well, I'm glad you asked, Mindy. Oh, thank you. Oh, you so, you okay. asked such yep. good mm-hmm. questions, Mindy. Thanks. As it happens, uh, Lynn and I have started a new podcast called Divergent by Design, where we break down the UDL guidelines into smaller chunks and, and give you some real actionable examples of what UDL looks like in the classroom. Yeah. And, you know, as part of that, too, you know, of course, the podcast is not the only place, but, you know, we've linked in the UDL guidelines into the um, show notes. So that's always a great place to start. What I love about the UDL guidelines, too, is they're interactive. So you can click on um, each of the different titles or they have what are called checkpoints, which are just once again, those considerations um, that kind of delves deeper into each of those and helps you kind of be mindful. But um definitely the podcast we actually also talk a lot about books and things like that and making some connections because the one thing i would also be remiss to not mention is just that udl isn't just another acronym to to layer and i mean it really does connect with a lot of the the bigger conversations that are happening you know every single district that i know of is talking about mtss that multi-tiered systems of supports of um this is kind of at that tier one kind of asking and and considering some of those things. So, you know, we definitely encourage you to um, explore this a little bit further, whether it be via the podcast or uh, checking out the guidelines or um, joining us for our course. 
Yeah, and if you're in the Grantwood area, Lynn and I are going to have a, a class running soon that you'll be able to sign up on and uh, dive a little deeper into UDL. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and talking a little bit about UDL, Lynn and Jonathan. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thanks. We're so excited. Okay. You, eh. Jonathan, yeah. not so Jonathan, much. Eh. I get to come back whenever. Eh. I wouldn't be anywhere else. I mean, I, I don't know what else I would be doing right now. So Really? I can think about a million things. <laughs> that <I would> be. <laughs> All right. So up next, my favorite part of the show, it's Tech Nuggets. Want me to go first? Sure. You just, you've been talking a lot. All right. So... I have um, an oldie but a goodie instructional strategy called Turn and Talk, and I'm sure lots of you are familiar with the Turn and Talk. It's about kind of have or an elbow partner. We call it a couple different things. I came across um, a reimagining of Turn and Talk to Turn and Learn, which feels a little bit more like reciprocal teaching to me. Um, so it gives students the opportunity to turn and share their thoughts, but the main purpose of the turn and learn strategy is that you share the thoughts of your partner. You're learning from them, and then with permission from that partner, you're able to share those things out, um, maybe represent your partner's thoughts in a certain way. And I thought this was an interesting twist because I do see a lot of turn and talk and a lot of elbow partners. Um, and sometimes those repetitive strategies students can kind of get bored with. So I thought this was a nice, just little, um, I don't know, 25 degree turn on the turn and talk. But I also started to think about what tech tools I could use with this instructional strategy. And I thought, well, Flipgrid might be a way if you, and I know we're still probably talking about students learning from home and quarantining. I feel like those conversations are starting to resurface again, but I thought this would be a nice way for students who might be at home for one reason or another, or students who um, are a little apprehensive about elbow partners and things like that, that a way to do this would be to create videos within Flipgrid and you might have an assigned partner that you would listen to their reflections and then revoice some of the, their thoughts. Um, or you could choose a partner that you connected with and revoice those thoughts or choose a partner that had totally different ideas than you and revoice or represent those ideas. So I always am trying to look for instructional strategies that I think work with digital tools. And I thought this was one that might that might be a possibility. Yeah, I really like this. When you look at the outline of kind of what the kids are asked to do, I love that, you know, once again, you've mentioned that they're sharing their partner's thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I love that they say, with their partner's permission. So like, yeah. we're like, you yeah. know, just being yep. good citizens yep. there too. But I, I really like the idea that um, you just surfaced about turning to um, somebody who maybe doesn't have the same viewpoint as you, mm -hmm. because then we kind of like mm -hmm. engaging in a little civil discourse. That's right. And, yep. We need some of that. So that good find. Yeah. So this comes from the Identity Centered Learning, which is identitycentered.com. And there are some... Um, different ways to maybe discuss conversation with your students um, and lots of resources here. And this is a new to me resource in general. So might be something that you would like to take a look at um, if you're trying to really bring in the voices of your different students um, and really help the different identities of your classroom be more 
um, visible, I guess. Yeah. And I love that there's all of these infographics, which are great because then, you know, that's something that you can put in front of students too. So, yeah. Nice work, Mindy. Thank you. I'm going to follow that up with another reimagining of an existing concept Mm -hmm. because I was uh, reading through Jennifer Gonzalez's blog recently, and she has a post on hyper-rubrics, which I thought was a nice twist on an existing thing. Mm -hmm. So she has a podcast interview with Tyler Rablin and Jeffrey Frieden, who are um, high school teachers, I believe, and they put a spin on a traditional rubric by adding hyperlinks into some of their um, criteria. So, for for instance, they've got one here that's, uh, I can define protagonist, antagonist, conflict, and plot structure. And in the rubric, they have hyperlinked like protagonist. And in the rubric, they have hyperlinked protagonist and conflict and plot and things like that so that the students could click on those and think, okay, so what is a protagonist? Do I actually know what that is or do I need some help and follow up? So you could link to whatever it is you need to, whether it's a definition or a video or some kind of support concept. So I think it really helps make rubrics more impactful for students because instead of just seeing a whole bunch of, I don't know what the education version of legalese is. I mean, that probably is what it looks like, just education jargon to kids sometimes when we put our standards and things on there. Mm -hmm. They can actually click through and see what these things mean or maybe see an example of what it looks like to have a paragraph with a distinct supporting uh, sentence or something like that. Mm -hmm. So hyper rubrics, I will link to that blog post and podcast episode and you can check those out nice. kind of a udl take on rubrics mm-hmm. well played mm, could be all right so my next tech nugget was um from richard byrne of course and he uh shows how has anybody else like added this moat thing to their have you guys been using moat or trying it at i've all? been using moat in some yeah, places yeah. yeah so if you're i think we've mentioned moat a few times here and there um last season Right? I get to call it seasons now. Did you ever get over that? We're we never did seasons. Okay. Well, <laughs> last season, we talked a little bit about Moat because I feel like that's kind of when it first came out. Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, so Moat is an ability to add like a voice memo to different other online tools. And so Moat has been, I think, I've seen Moat the most within Google tools. I'm not even sure. Can you use Moat other places? This is how much I know about Moat. I have no idea. You ask real good questions. I don't know. I don't know, actually. I don't know either. Um, so I, you can use Moat to add in voice memos to um, like Google Slides and to Google Docs. Richard Byrne just sent out something the other day that was about adding voice to Google Forms, which I do, you know, forms are tricky, I think, because it's a great way to gather, you know, some formative data about your students, but it doesn't allow for a lot of accessibility. So adding voice to Google Forms allows you to add your voice to questions that you might be asking your students, but also allows students to record a voice memo into Google Forms. So allows them to have a multimedia, you know, we were able to add images. Now with Moat, you could add voice into your Google Form as well. And you might be thinking, well, how would I listen to all of those? It also, you know, with Google Forms, pulls all of that data into a spreadsheet. So you add that into a spreadsheet, you could just listen to the link because Moat creates a voice memo 
link, you could just listen to those links all the way through in your spreadsheet, nice and organized. So I thought it was interesting um, and a nice way to, you know, put a little bit of a twist on Google Forms. Right. And once again, UDL for the win, because uh, for your students, you mentioned that, you know, if you have students who need um, extra scaffolding or support, that could be a great way for adding some think abouts for them. And then the fact that they can respond with their voice with that audio versus having to type in or that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you could share that spreadsheet then with students and allow them to listen to each other's responses. I mean, maybe not for a quiz or something like that, but it could be a nice way to just gather some different, you know, voices from your students. And you could have like a mystery voice. You could have all kinds Mm. of stuff. Just a nice way to gather those things up. Well, real-time feedback. Uh, Moat works on web pages too. You don't just share a web link. You use Moat to leave a voice note on any website and bring your link to life. Hmm. I wasn't reading that. I mean, I yeah, just... right. It didn't sound like it at all. No. Well, I don't know. I feel like Moat is kind of an untapped resource for me right now. I just need to sit down and, and mess with it a little bit and figure out what it can do. So, I just really like the idea of... Um, the fact that you you get it quickly with the form, yeah. Um, just because you think about workflow and productivity and things like that, yeah. that's that's kind of a game changer. Yeah, right. Well, it's funny you mentioned productivity, oh, Lynn. Wow. Because nice my segue. my last nugget here is kind of a productivity tool that I have adopted of late. So I've gone through various like note-taking type of tools over the years. I've used Google Keep, or for not for very long. I use OneNote. I used um, I don't know Evernote, and you know different note-taking things. And I'm I'm a big fan of the fact that I, I feel like I don't take notes in Google Docs for a reason because if I take notes in Google Docs then it just gets lost among all my other docs and things like that so I feel like if I want to take notes on something it has to be in a note-taking app that's separate from Mm -hmm. my other stuff because that way I know my notes are there. It's kind of like a notebook. Kind of like a notebook. notebook. Yes so and then I started to think a little bit about how I take notes. What is what what does my brain look like when I take notes? And I got real deep real quick. Okay, continue, please. So I tend to do bullet points, okay, and Mm -hmm. and bulleted lists and things like that. And I came across this app called Workflowy, which is an outline app and it is basically infinite bullet points that are nested inside of each other. So you start with like a top level bullet point and it could be something like conference notes, all right? And then you have a sub bullet that would be iTech and then maybe one that was ISTE and then maybe one that was FETC. Mm -hmm. And then under that bullet, you can have another bullet that would be like 2020, 2019, 2018. And then under that bullet, you can have the name of the sessions that you go to. And it does get a bit like the matrix. But once you get your head around that organizational structure of having bullet points that go into bullet points, points and bullet points and it's all really easy to navigate once you set it up Hmm. it really just works the way my brain works for taking notes so a lot about you so how do you search it how do you go back and look through stuff does it have a really great search feature to it it does have a really good search feature and you can also tag stuff you can also star stuff you can Hmm. use it as to-do lists and check things off and do all kinds of other fun stuff can you pull 
like a section of those out into its own or is it yes. just like one long bullet yes. like Jonathan Wiley's bullet points of life you can click on one individual bullet and just dial down to nice. like that one section okay. notes and you can get like oh. a URL link to share just that <gasps> really that's that little portion without huh. sharing all the other stuff that's yeah. above it in the tree so all of the personal Jonathan Wiley thoughts yeah mm. yeah, yeah. So there you hmm. go. Workflowy is my kind of secret weapon cool. for taking notes on life. Lynn's nodding her head over there. I'm, well, I'm just checking this out, and I, I definitely need to mess around just a little bit, but I am a to-do list kind of girl as well. Yes. So um, there, there's check marks. Do you and get to, I can like, scribble it out? I don't oh, I really love know. to do that. Like, yeah, the physical no, I think you a- will be sad <laughs> that it does not allow you to do that, but it uh, does have that satisfaction of, like, checking things off. Oh, nice. so. It has a strike through feature yeah, for like nice. completed yeah. and yeah. it's available on every device on the web, on mobile, nice. everywhere. So you can mm. just take notes on the go. Huh. Good hmm. one. There you go. Workflow. Yeah. yeah. Work, work it is free ish. You get oh. like, I don't know, something like 500 bullets a month or something like oh, that. Oh my. Which is quite a lot. I yeah, think. I think but so. If well, you but want when you start, more, yeah, tracking you like how like bulleted your bullets begin nesting that could be a lot yeah and but there's a little part in your profile where you can click on and say how many bullets have i used this month and it, it tells you and Jeez, you know it's like an armory okay. but it's only like huh. maybe 40 dollars a year or something if you want unlimited bullets so it's not bad <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> robbing the bank here okay all right, so I think that rewinds up our first episode back from the summer. We weren't too rusty, I don't no, think. No, I think we're right. Not too bad. I mean, Not but we bad. had Lynn here to help. Oh, probably, you guys have been yeah. podcasting. I mean, probably we've kept us on the rails. Yeah, we've right, been, right. Yeah, we've been recording this summer, so, you yeah. know. Well, maybe we need Mindy as a, as a surprise guest on Divergent <gasps> by Design. Yes. Crossover. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that'll be awesome. <laughs> All right, so until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.